Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer. Wanted to tell you about our newest podcast that is exclusive to Spotify. It is called The Hottest Take. These are short podcasts. These are going to be like seven to nine minutes, multiple times per week. It's one take. Sweet potatoes are bullshit. You're going to get takes like that. You're going to take about sports. If Cliff Kingsbury looked like Brad Childress, he would never work again. Pop culture, you're going to hear from me. Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Ludicrous. This is an interesting <laughs> take because the name of the show is the hottest thing, not the worst take. You're going to hear from Ryan Rossillo, Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy, Shay Serrano, my buddy House, and many more Ringer staffers and friends of the Ringer family, some celebrities. It's going to be exclusive on Spotify, multiple times per week, coming September 16th from The Ringer Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Uh, Let's just get things rolling, shall we? So we talked to Zach Cram to kick off every show, uh, pretty much. But this time there is news, and Zach has Zach has written about it. Uh, so Zach, why don't you tell me what the hell's going on in Boston? Are we not talking about the Patriots? Is this a, uh, the, the baseball news in Boston? I mean, look, it, if there is a time like this, is one of the weirdest things. And I say this knowing the gravity of saying this about the Red Sox. This is one of the weirdest things the Red Sox have done that I can remember. Uh, and they could not have picked a better time to news dump it between um, the Antonio Brown thing and the uh, and having David Ortiz throw out the first pitch. So, like, it's, you know, obviously we talked about that when, when uh, he was shot in the Dominican Republic. And we're all very happy that he seems to be uh, recovering well. Um, but, like... Buried in all of this is Dave Dombrowski getting fired. Yeah, in between, they fired the, I guess he's not a general manager, the president of baseball operations who steered them to a World the Series P-box. title less than a year ago. Yes. I mean, I, I went on a, a little bit of a rant about this earlier in the week, but like we need a standardized title for title bloat GM. Um, apparently, president of hockey operations in the NHL is colloquial, colloquially known as POHO. And I think that we could adapt something like that for uh, for baseball. But anyway, the uh, the Red Sox have gotten rid of their their Pobo less than a year after winning not only not only winning the World Series, but winning their third straight division title and winning one hundred and eight games, which like a team wins the World Series every year. A team wins one hundred and eight games like once every 10 or 15 years. So it's just staggering how little of a leash he got if you. Look at just success on the field. Dombrowski is undoubtedly the most successful head decision maker in Red Sox history. They had never won three division titles before. They had never won 108 games before. And yeah, like you said, 108 wins and a World Series. And it's not just that they won the World Series. They beat the Yankees. They beat the Astros and they beat the Dodgers, probably the three best teams in baseball other than Boston, and they lost three total games against those teams in the playoffs. That was an all-time legendary season. It uh, might be it might be the most dominant season start to finish of the 21st century. Which... And he's gone now because I guess, well, we can talk about the reasons why. I think the fact that the Red Sox will not return to the playoffs this year is one of those reasons, but more, and this is what I focus on in my piece, I think it's reflective of 
this era of front offices and this era specifically of ownership in which we find ourselves as baseball fans and analysts because Dave Dombrowski is a general manager or president of baseball operations who spends money and he spends prospects because he wants to win. And that was true in Detroit where the late Mike Illich as owner was pushing and pushing and pushing for a World Series. That was true in Boston where Boston brought him in specifically to win a World Series and he did the job. But I guess where we find ourselves is if you're going to spend money and you're going to spend prospects, you can't have even one off year. And that is what you know did Dabrowski in. What a farce. I mean, I am inclined to frame it a certain way, which I'm I'm hesitant to do just because it's because it's depressing to consider it like that. Dave Dabrowski might go down as one of the last uh executives, GMs, you know, Pobos, whatever you want to call it, uh, who played who worked the system the way it was designed to be worked. Um, and which is to say that, like you said, he went out and took over a big market team. He spent top dollar for top talent uh, in terms of both prospects and salary. Like that's how the that's the way the game is supposed to operate. And instead of you know, he didn't bring back literally the entire team. Like he let uh, Craig Kimber walk in, in free agency and Joe Kelly. And I think, you know, it's not just let's just all blindly get the get the band back together uh, because that's not what he did. He did make a couple discerning choices uh, in terms of free agency. And, you know, the Red Sox weren't particularly active in free agency this year anyway. Um, but he built that 108 win team and they won 108 games. They won the World Series. They won three straight division titles. And. They took a step back. That happens. That happens all the time across sports, particularly in a division as competitive as the American League East, where, like you said, the Yankees are also an elite team. The Rays are very good. Um, you know, it, like the Red Sox, this is not the year after Ben Sherrington's World Series or the or the the two seasons that that followed um, followed that season twenty fifth or it was twenty was it fourteen and fifteen that that the Red yeah. Sox yeah finished they were back last back. place both years yeah. And so, like, he got less rope than that after that incredible season they had. After, you know, and he they won the World Series. And this is something that I think is important. They just completely went out and shredded Nathan Evaldi in those playoffs. And knowing that he was an, an injury-prone pitcher, and they took care of him. Like, they gave him the make-good contract, which I think is important to do. Because if you work a pitcher with Evaldi's history the way they did last October— and you don't pay him. Like I talk a lot about amoral or um, or efficiency focused, or you know, sort of abdicating any responsibility of right and wrong in baseball. That would have been actively immoral if they had done that and then not paid him. You know what the the contract that he had deserved off off past performance, given the the injury risk. So like this is this is how baseball worked for my entire life up until a couple of years ago, and now it's we're so focused on. Um, on cost control, like, and I keep saying this over and over. What's the fucking point of being the Red Sox if you're not going to spend over the over the luxury tax? You know, like, what's the point of being a rich team in an uncapped sport if you aren't going to use it? Or if you aren't going to use your financial might to your advantage? And the Red Sox, however, whatever direction they end up going, appear to be they want as much success at as a certain price point will give them. Um, 
which is just a huge bummer because that's the way the, the Yankees are operating. It's the way the Dodgers are operating. It's the way it's the way the Phillies are operating. It's the way every big team um, and there's no shortage of talent out there. Every big team is operating uh, that they're only willing to pursue a title up to a point. And I, I'm trying not to. I actually didn't think I was as pissed off about this as as I turned out to be uh, just ranting about this on the podcast. And I, I will let you talk again soon. But like this, if this is just the way things are going to operate from now on, like, what's the point? Well, one of the things we've talked about over the last few seasons is the homogenization of front offices. And I think that's what you're seeing here. Obviously, we don't know who the Red Sox will sign yet. But Dombrowski, I think one of the areas where he reportedly clashed with ownership was that he is more scouting centric versus analytical. And I obviously the best teams are generally able to use both of those. So maybe there were behind the scenes clashes. There are some stories that have come out to that effect recently, although I don't think there have been any particular examples that stand that stand out to me as, oh, it was clear that this was untenable. They've kind of just been pretty nebulous and vague lobbies at his back as he, you know, exits the door. But I think one of the areas where Dombrowski does not get the credit he deserves is, so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is what we learn from World Series winners. We always try to take away a lesson. So from 2015, when the Royals won and made the World Series in 2014, we learned that a shutdown bullpen can really help a team in the playoffs. And we've seen teams construct their rosters around that philosophy since. In 2016, the Cubs won. 2017, the Astros won. That confirmed the viability of a tanking strategy that we now see a lot of teams employ. Where are the teams that are spending money that we saw the Red Sox do? Sure, Dombrowski handed out big contracts, but those were for J.D. Martinez and David Price, who were central figures in the Red Sox World Series run. And yeah, he traded prospects, but I think he gets a bad rap for the prospects he trades. Yes, Boston has one of the worst farm systems in baseball now, but I think that's more about poor drafts like Jay Groom was their first rounder a couple years ago and he stalled with Tommy Don surgery than it is about Dabrowski actually trading prospects. I looked at players who were ranked among Boston's top prospects and half of the ones he traded were for Chris Sale. I don't think any Red Sox fan is upset about trading for Chris Sale. And then the others haven't panned out. Like Anderson Espinosa was traded for Drew Pomeranz and people were like, oh no, Dombrowski is trading pitching prospects. But Espinosa hasn't pitched in three years. He traded Manny Margot and Javi Guerra for Craig Kimbrell. But again, Craig Kimbrell was important to three straight division winners, whereas Margot hasn't lived up to his potential. And Guerra was a shortstop as a Red Sox. He is now a reliever in San Diego because he couldn't hit well enough to stick in the major league. So it's not like Dombrowski tore people down by trading away a cast of future all-stars. He traded generally players who didn't pan out for players who were important to the Red Sox. And I don't think it's fair to judge him on, like, if every team wants to be the Dodgers and have an awesome major league and minor league roster, that's just simply not tenable. Even the Astros and Yankees and Cubs right now have bottom tier farm systems because that's what happens when you trade prospects away to get better in the future and your good prospects graduate. Rafael Devers is young enough to be a prospect at this point. If he were still in the minor leagues, Boston's farm system would look a lot better, but he's now an all-star contributor at the major league level. And here... Here now we both go ranting, but like it, I've had a lot of responses to my article, for instance, that are, well, Dombrowski tore down the farm systems. So now they're ruined. Like Who he tore down the farm shit? system he tore down, and even beyond that, like he now has a major league core of Bogart's endeavors. That's what you hope 
to get that's what you hope to develop a good farm system into that's the that's what i can't get over is like farm ranking doesn't mean anything it, it it's okay farm ranking does not literally not mean anything but if your farm system sucks and you've got Andrew Benatendi out of one of your last couple drafts being a, a solid major league contributor at age 24, um, Devers at age 22, Michael Chavis, who was another first rounder, has been a huge part of that team this season, 23 years old. Like these guys, would you feel better if some of them were in the minor leagues and not producing at the major league level? It's not about the farm system. It's about what talent you have coming through the pipeline. And, ab- and absolutely they had their struggles in the draft. Like I was a big fan of the Jay Groom picket at the time, because I think he was the most talented player in that draft class. Uh, and there are good non-talent related reasons why he fell to Boston, but they, you know, if you're drafting outside the first, the first couple picks and a guy like that falls to you, like hell yes, take that risk. Um, because you could end up having the best player in the draft if, if he straightens things out. Um, anyway, like the other thing is you don't have to go develop your entire lineup internally the way like the Rays do or the Pirates think they the, have. The, to. Ra- if the Rays don't. The Rays actually, most of their players, they trade. That's for, true. That's besides yeah. the point. Well, they don't all have to like you don't have to shoot the moon on every trade and, you know, develop, you know, make sure your core comes together and wins before anybody reaches arbitration. Like you can go out and plug those holes in free agency. And it's never been easier to do that. I went uh, through basically every trade that Dombrowski made in his four years in Boston. Right. And there's only one he definitively messed up on. And that was when he traded uh, Travis Shaw and Mauricio Dubon, the prospect to Milwaukee for Tyler Thornburg, who basically never pitched in Boston because of injuries. But besides that, there wasn't really a trade he lost. Like, I think we like following trades because they're exciting, but also because they're ways to improve the Major League roster without necessarily sacrificing other players on the Major League roster. And that's what Dombrowski did very well with churning lower-level prospects or veterans who, like, Eduardo Nunez was not necessarily a good player in Boston, but he filled a hole and the guys who were traded for him, you're never going to hear their names again. And I, I think that's an important job for a GM to have is to identify both the big ways to improve roster, which Dombrowski obviously did with Martinez and sale and Kimbrell and so on, but also the small ways to fill holes. And I think that's one of the reasons the Red Sox won 108 games last year was because he maximized all the tools at his disposal. And it seems like potentially by hiring a new general manager who either won't be willing to spend as much or will start hoarding prospects, you're depriving yourself of the ability to use all those tools. Yeah, it's not like I can. On some level, I can understand if the Red Sox think that this core is about to is about to reach its peak. And they want somebody to sort of, and this is something that they were really good at under Theo Epstein was rolling that core over, um, you know, letting go of guys at the right time, bringing in new players, trading uh, players at the right time. Um, and that's how they wound up, you know, not making over literally the entire roster, but, but pretty close between 04 and 07. And uh, so if, if you don't think that, or if John Henry doesn't think that, Dave Dombrowski is the best guy to do that. That's frankly understandable Um, because, but like he's not, 
nobody's ever going to write a book about how clever Dave Dombrowski is. He's not an elegant, clever GM in the way that we think about guys who really game the system, but it works what he does. You know, he, the, the Tigers were great while he was there. He won world, won a world series in Florida, he won a world series in, in Boston. I all like, he just goes and, you know, buys winning teams. And if you care about having a winning team, he's a, I don't know, he's as good a choice as any to, to lead a ball club. But if you care about arbitrage, like go hire one of these other Ivy league NBA weenies that the other 28 teams in base or, you know, 28 of the other 29 teams in baseball are, are hiring and they're all going to operate the same way. And you're, there's going to be no distinction between uh, what the Red Sox are doing and what, other clubs are doing so and this, this comes at, at a critical juncture for the red sox because they do have a lot of money committed over the next few years and if they're not going to spend as much as they have like what does that mean for mookie betts who is a free agent after next season and is probably the second best player in baseball maybe three to four depending on how you feel about like christian yelich and other players but he's certainly in the top five and i don't know what that means for him will boston pay to keep probably i don't know who's the the last boston position player who was this good and he's going to be still in his mid-20s when he's a free agent and that's normally when you would want to keep a guy forever but i don't know if this makes it less likely that they're yeah. going to resign him that's the i think that's like the visceral reaction i'm having is they're talking about trading mookie bets like it's it's indefensible because there's no way this close to free agency they're going to get anything close to to real value. If I don't know, there's no better proof than the than what Dombrowski's done over the past couple of years that you're not going to get full value in a trade for a player that good. Um, so yeah, I just don't understand. It. You know, like maybe you try to move JD Martinez or something like that. I can't come up with a scenario in which trading Mookie Betts makes sense for the Red Sox if they if they care about winning, I don't know, in the next five, maybe even 10 years, because he's, you know, he's that good and that young. Um, but at, at to say nothing of, like I said, every team operates this way now. So where's the advantage of, of thinking differently? Because this this is something actually that when the when the Orioles hired uh Mike Elias and Sig Meidel from uh from Houston when they they cleaned house, like those are smart guys and they, they learned at the feet of the master and one of the best run front offices in baseball, but they're going to operate the way everybody else operates. The way that you get ahead is to go back and go kind of analog. And I, don't know, I think the Red Sox last year, are pretty good proof of that. So I don't know. It's just firing him and like making, making it clear that he was fired and then First, nobody from ownership goes up and, and talks to the media about it, leaving Alex Cora to answer all the questions. Like, are you kidding? This is, it's just, it's a clown show. First of all, I agree with your point that zigging when everyone else is zagging makes sense from an, as an organizational philosophy, but specifically in this case, like nobody else wanted to pay J.D. Martinez. Even from the beginning of the offseason, we thought, okay, J.D. Martinez to Boston is a great fit. But still, despite how great a hitter he was, nobody wanted to pay him. Then Boston went and paid J.D. Martinez, and he almost won the MVP award and helped lead them to World Series championship. And now, sure, you owe him more money for the next three years, but he'll still probably be one of the best hitters in baseball for the next three years if he doesn't opt out. 
it's not a bad thing to have him on your team, even if like you have to pay him $20 million or more accordingly. He has a 393 on base percentage. He's hit 78 home runs in a little less than two seasons in Boston. Like, if that's not worth $20 million. I will zig that way if everyone else is going to yeah. zag away from him. What a bargain. Okay. All right. We got to move on to other stuff. But uh, that was spicy. This is weird as shit. Yeah. Here I was thinking that my takes weren't hot enough anymore. And uh, I, I was one like utterance of fraud from going full terrestrial radio there. Um, anyway, got everybody out there, go read Zach's, uh, I will say, much calmer breakdown of this situation. It's very, it's. Uh, very thorough, and I think you get the entire picture of why this is such a weird thing to do. Um, but thanks for for coming on, and and uh, you know I think that this has been a little cathartic. Until next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Floor and Decor. Don't miss out. Floor and Decor is the only one-stop flooring shop that keeps general contractors, flooring specialists, and renovation experts ahead of the game. Thanks to their fully stocked warehouse of hard surface flooring, no job is too big. Job lock quantities of tile, wood, and stone are in stock and available for convenient worksite delivery. And their dedicated pro services team is here to help make it easy for you to run your business. They offer everything from 14-day product storage to financing solutions to express pickup. Sign up for Pro Premier Rewards and you'll automatically rack up points that you can exchange for prizes. Plus, you'll have access to more than 15 discounted services to help grow your business. Explore your local floor and decor and discover how quantity flooring products at everyday low prices can completely change your game. Visit flooranddecor.com today to locate the floor and decor nearest you and score savings and service you won't find anywhere else. That's flooranddecor.com. All right, so as the season's worn down, it has become increasingly clear to me that I do not understand the NL Central race. Uh, so I have decided to talk to someone who who does, or at least understands it better, to, better than me, uh, Sahadav Sharma of The Athletic. Welcome back to the show. Oh, man, you want me to make sense of what's happening? I All I've been doing is throwing my hands up on a daily basis and saying, forget this nonsense. Who's Anyone that can figure this out is a smarter man than I, a smarter person than I. So uh, I... I I I have no clue what's what's going to happen. I can tell you what has <laughs> happened and and how ridiculous it is. I just want to impress on you how low the bar is for understanding in this case. <laughs> um, although I I will say the Cubs had something interesting happen to them uh, last night as we record. Uh, Javi Baez is injured, uh, but it doesn't matter because Nico Horner is going to save the day, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's specifically before the game, everyone made a point to make sure that Nico is not the savior. He's here. You know, he, he only arrived because of multiple injuries at the shortstop spot. Javi's been out for a little while now, and it, it turns out that he's going to miss at minimum the rest of the regular season. Uh, Addison Russell got hit in the head on Sunday, I believe it was. Uh, and that he's in the concussion protocol. Their AAA shortstop is on the shelf as well. Dixon Machado had a real nice season. Uh, another prospect of theirs, who's obviously you know a lower level guy than Nico, but but uh, was further along as far as where he was in the minors at least last year, uh, got hurt and kind of had some setbacks this year and just wasn't uh, producing at a high enough level. And Nico is a top prospect. And as far as makeup goes, they knew he was ready. He had an aggressive assignment at double A to start the season. There were no concerns that he could handle it, handle failure. 
he actually came out and was swinging a really nice bat, broke his wrist, uh, hairline fracture, uh, missed about, uh, it was late April to late June, I want to say. Uh, he came back and struggled a little bit, but it wasn't to the point where he was. it was disastrous. But then August, he kind of got going again. The power started to show up again. We all know how risks take a little bit of a while. I don't think, uh, I don't think we're going to see a ton of power right now. But yeah, great, great debut for him. Three hits, four RBIs, running the bases uh, like crazy. He brings an element this team desperately needs uh, as far as contact. Last I looked, they were last in contact rate. I assume that's still the case. It, it's been like a week or so since I checked that. But uh, they, they need him to make a ton of contact. They they need him to run the bases well. And they just need him to play a competent shortstop. Because right now, uh, their other options are David Bodie and then Ben Zobrist. And that just isn't going to work if they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting that he's the first player from the 2018 draft class to to be called up to the major leagues and probably by all rights, Casey Mize should have beaten him there. The number one pick. And that would have been a, a, uh, um, a less surprising thing. Cause you, you think of advanced college pitchers are always the first, are always the fastest moving. Horner is not only a position player, but he was a 24th pick and, uh, plays a difficult defensive position, which makes it all the more impressive that he's moved this quickly. I mean, it's one game. We don't, yeah, I've, We've certainly all been sure. burned by overreacting to to one game, but you know it's so far. Yeah, so you know good. what? Uh, first of all, with Nico, I everything I heard at the time of the draft, the day of the draft, and a couple days later was wow, that was an overdraft. Don't really think uh, the Cubs made a wise pick there. Talk to the same guys six months later, nine months later, whatever it was, the tune had completely changed. Uh, they all most pretty much, uh, to a man, they admitted that they, they were off on their evaluation of him. What they'd seen, uh, in college was very different than what they saw, uh, in, in the Cubs system. And especially in the Arizona fall league, the Cubs made some slight, slight tweaks to his swing. Not, 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 nothing drastic, nothing that, you know, that the average fan is just going to point out right away, looking at him, looking at his college swing and, and what he's doing now, the very slight uh, things to make sure he puts the ball in the air more because what they, they saw what the scouts saw was this is a guy that makes a ton of contact and more often than not it's really hard contact he's just not elevating it enough uh, he had the makeup the the learning ability everything he understands baseball at a very high level that they trusted that okay this is a guy that we can work with uh, research and development kind of confirmed everything that they saw and said yep you're, you're right he's he's hitting the crap out of the ball he just needs to get in the air more often and, and good things will happen. Uh, they kind of tweaked that. I think he had in the Arizona Fall League, uh, he had four doubles, four triples, and a homer. Uh, like I said, the wrist injury kind of slowed him down. But in August, he started spraying into all fields and, and hitting into the gaps. Uh, guys I talk to now around baseball are like, yeah, he's probably a top 15, if not better, talent from that draft class. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with his maturity. Uh, just just talking to him, he sounds like he belongs, and you know that's that's great to have that confidence, and it doesn't come off as um, arrogance. You know, there, there's always that fine line, and athletes always tow it. Uh, he, he's right now. You know, I, I've talked to him obviously before before just uh, this game yesterday, but 
been talking to him for a year now and and he really seems to understand things and and appreciate his place and 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 wants to just get better and uh, I think he's going to be a big part of the Cubs future is he going to be the star of the next great Cubs team if that next great Cubs team is coming probably not but I think he's going to be one of the key cogs one of those guys that you say yep we need Nico here uh, a big problem with this Cubs team is, like I said, they don't make contact. It's not only that they don't make a ton of contact, it's they're easily game-planned for. They, they, you can get them with the high fastball. You can get them to chase breaking balls out of the zone. Far too many of these guys, you if you can execute those pitches, they will get themselves out. Uh, ben Zobris is not like that. Nico Horner is not like that. They need more guys like that, and they don't need to be superstars. The stars can still survive. They, they can have their imperfections, but they'll, they'll carry the team. But if you can't get the whole lineup out in the same way, that's going to change things a lot for this team. So Nico may may have some, I expect him to have a decent impact this year. But really for me, what I'm watching is how big, how, this is going to be huge for him going forward and being part of that next good Cubs team. So let's, let's sort of zoom back a little bit and look at the entire team and where they are. Uh, they're in the second wild card. They're two and a half games behind Washington as we record. They're two games up on Milwaukee. They're four games out of first place in the NL Central uh, behind the, the St. Louis Cardinals and Tommy Edmond, uh, another uh, former uh, Stanford middle infielder who has ringer connections. Um, I was sort of interested to see where the Cubs would end up this year because this I, I don't want to zoom back too too far too fast. So let's just let's just keep it here. How do you think they're how do you feel like they're set up for the stretch run? Because I think just their spot in the standings right now, nobody who's chasing them really would really scare me. Because I just look at like how the the best illustration of how weak this NL wildcard field is, is how close the Phillies and Mets are to the playoffs, you know, and <laughs> these are not good teams chasing them. So with with the Baez injury, with some of the other issues that they've had, how confident should should the Cubs be in the fact that or in the the possibility of just making it to to October well I mean I I hesitate to go all in on how on on the Cubs being the best team of that group right uh may I I do believe talent wise they are and I've said this for a while I don't think the Brewers are at the same level as the Cubs Yet repeatedly, the Cubs cannot put them away. The Cubs had lost three of four this past weekend. For me, that's kind of inexcusable at this point in the season. It's time to put, you know, the pedal to the metal, uh, do away with the teams that are clearly inferior. And I just feel like the the Brewers uh, aren't as good as the Cubs. Yet repeatedly, the Cubs let them, you know, come back up for air. And it it just. It's it's been frustrating to watch this team not really live up to the talent. Granted, they have been dealing with some injuries, and and I think that uh, they've come at really bad times. I mean, we can talk about what's currently happening, uh, sure, but but I mean, look at uh, Kyle Hendricks was on a roll, and then he hurts his shoulder, and he's out for a month. Uh, Cole Hamels was sneaking into Cy Young conversation. I mean, sure, he wasn't going to win it in all likelihood, but he was emerging as a dark horse candidate, a guy that people were going to start saying, Hey, look at Cole Hamels, look at what he's doing. And then he, and then he hurts himself and it wasn't a major injury, but it sidelined him for a month and he cannot find his rhythm right now. It's the same thing that happened before back when they traded for him. He, he had just found his rhythm again and he, and he went on that run last year 
he's searching for that rhythm. I don't think he's the type that his career is over or anything like that. I just think that that he's he's not close to what he could have been uh, had he not gotten hurt. All those little things have added up. Still, the Cubs should be better than they are. I I agree with you that they're probably the best of the bunch. I just don't have that certainty anymore watching this team day in and day out that they will put those other teams away, that they will finally put it together. It's 19 games left. Uh, I believe 12, yes, 12 of them are against the Pirates, the Padres, and the Reds. So subpar teams, teams that they should beat. Uh, what did I say? 12 games? You got to win 10 of those, right? It's, it's crunch time. Got to win those games. And then seven against the Cardinals. Obviously, you need to win as many of those as possible to try and win this division. But uh, if we're talking, I think realistically, the wild card is where it's at for this team. Uh, so, so just, so just take care of business. Beat up on those bad teams. Maybe win four of seven from the Cardinals if you can do that, and then go in and and hope you can win a game in Washington. Uh, it's going to be tough. I, I hope that Hobby gets healthy. KB had a had a cortisone shot on Sunday. If he's he made it seem he, he seemed very positive yesterday that he felt good. He felt a lot better than he has in months. Uh, it, just go look at his numbers. They're they're not what they should be, and it's all because of the knee. And the same thing happened last year, but with the shoulder. He, he was red hot for those first six weeks, injured himself. And then, and then it fell apart, and and he had a terrible season for his standards. So there's all these little weird things that are happening. Wilson Contreras isn't at 100 percent because he's coming back from a hamstring. You uh, Darvish is dealing with forearm tenderness or tightness, I believe they refer to it as. But when he's on the mound, he's as good as uh, we've seen him in a Cubs uniform, no doubt, and perhaps as good as ever. Uh, so there, there are some there. There are these plus and minuses that make you say like, "Oh yeah, yeah, the, everything is fine." And then you remember, wait, this, 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 and this. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't feel as confident saying that the Cubs are going to seal this deal over the next three weeks. So you said something a few minutes ago that uh, sort of jives with what uh, the reason I was so interested in the Cubs heading into the season, which is you you talked about Nico Horner being on the next great Cubs team, which feels like an outrageous thing to say, considering how we were pegging the Cubs after 2016 is set up to go back and, and win two or three more titles uh, before this core graduated out. And that just, I mean, it just seems like they've taken a step back every year. And it's not just that the results have gotten, gotten worse, but like in spite of going out and making aggressive moves, trading for Quintana, uh, trading for Hamill, signing Darvish, signing Craig Kimbrell, um, they've gone out and, you know, and promoting guys like, uh, like Ian Happ, the last of that run of first round picks. It just seems like they've taken a step back. And now, you know, it, it almost seems like, uh, like Joe Madden's in a little bit of a Joe Madden who, whose hiring was a huge part of, of constructing that team. Like, it seems like he's in a little bit of a lame duck session right now. Like his days are numbered and I'm, you know, you've been covering this team throughout, uh, throughout this run dating back to, you know, the world series and even beyond that. How has that been to, you know, first of all, like, am I totally off base in thinking that, that this looks like close to the end uh but also like how's that been to to watch first of all i'll say you're not off base but i'll get to that why you're not off base there there there's a lot there's a lot involved in that uh it's been it's been interesting to watch unravel i mean 
yes, this was billed as a, a potential dynasty, right? And I don't think it was just the Cubs like spouting that off. I mean, we played into that. I wrote that yeah. after they won the World sure. Series. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I, I wrote that as well. Um, they were set up for that, right? A, a lot of different things happened. Uh, it turned out that Addison Russell is, is not the person that we thought he was. Uh, clearly off the field issues, domestic violence. I mean, that's unacceptable and, and we you know it, it's it goes much beyond baseball but he's I, I think that speaks to kind of that he he's was never fully focused he never fully focused his talents uh on the field he was never fully focused on that right he was he was off doing things that nobody should be doing and and i don't think that helped his development at all uh, so it's a so if you're we're talking in a baseball sense with Addison Russell, he never came close. He's never come close to reaching that potential. I mean, remember this was a top five prospect. This was a shortstop up the middle that was a World Series postseason uh, hero. He had a he he did some pretty great things in the postseason, and it's all been downhill from that uh, from that point. You know, and it's on him. This isn't that's not solely on the Cubs. That's on him. Uh, then you. I mean, just beyond that, just baseball wise, you, you talked about Ian Happ. He, you know, solid player, but maddeningly inconsistent. Uh, they worked on a lot of things in in the minors this year when he was demoted to start spring to start the season. Uh, he looks better. He, he's still very inconsistent and and just doesn't seem yet to be an everyday player. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, I'll give him a lot of credit since about July or August. He looks like a different player. He made some tweaks. Uh, he's making more contact. He leads the team in home runs. Uh, he's not hitting for average, but, you know, he's got like about a 110, 115 uh, weighted runs created plus. And, and I think that's that's solid. And I think it, he's kind of there's you could argue that maybe he's turned a corner. Uh, Javi has obviously become something that, you know, everyone hoped for, but seemed like a long shot and it kind of all came together. I think this year was tough for him because he hurt his heel, had to play through it. And now the, now the thumb injuries kind of ended the season prematurely for him. So he never really got back on a hot streak after hurting his heel. Uh, there's just a lot of little things they you can talk about the the misfires and free agency that that offseason before 20 what year is it so 2018 before the 2018 season they signed Tyler Chatwood, Yu Darvish and uh Brandon Morrow. Uh, pretty much 2018 was a wash for all three of those guys. Morrow was awesome in the first half and then didn't hasn't pitched again. He hasn't pitched since. Uh, Darvish it was a lost season, and when he was on the mound, it was he was not good. Tyler Chatwood had a disastrous year in 2018. So that I mean, three really high-profile free agent signings that just were awful in 2018. Granted, Darvish has looked great this year, especially in the second half. Chatwood has bounced back and been a good, you know, very solid reliever, like long reliever, swing man, spot starter. Yeah, that's not the prime piece of your team but he's he's valuable it's all i mean all these little things have kind of impacted the team and of course you can go point to this past offseason where oh budget crunch uh, you know ownership isn't gonna extend the budget this is what we have to spend and your big free agent signings remember this is after theo epstein came out after the wild card loss and said the somewhere along the way the offense broke uh admitted that things needed to change 
uh, all these different things it sounded like a lot of change was coming and all the change was superficial in a sense, right? This is, we're, we're going to talk about sense of urgency. We're going to talk about how we change the vibe in the clubhouse and they go out and get Brad Brock, Tony Barnett, Xavier Cedeno, Daniel Descalso, all of whom, uh, None of them have impacted the team, and I think majority of them are not on the team right now. Uh, so, so it was a bad offseason, second bad offseason in a row for different reasons. And, and now it's kind of led to this, where, where Chris Bryant isn't the superstar that everyone imagined. Uh, hit, you know, you can put it on injuries, you can put it on just failure to development, whatever you want to call it. He's a very, very good player. He's not MVP caliber right now. I put it on injuries because when he's healthy, he's as good as anyone in, in my mind. Uh, just a lot of little different things. Jason Hayward contract. He's an okay player, great defender, but not not a superstar. Not not worth that money. It's kind of an albatross there. Uh, J- John Lester's, you know, provided what he was supposed to, but he's not what he once was, and he's basically a fifth starter now. So there, you can point to a thousand things, uh, but yeah, it, it's not the Astros. It's not the Dodgers. It's not what everyone expected. Uh, and th- what was your what was your original? You, you had two questions or two points that you were making, correct? Oh boy, um, <laughs> sorry. No, I, it, I, it, it was I like, do you do you detect that? Do you detect the the same um, same oh, malaise? Is this, I guess is this kind of yeah, what is kind of the end of the era? Yeah. yeah, I would say that it is kind of the end of the era in one sense. Listen, they're not going to talk about it until the season's over. That's Theo made that clear last year when basically we asked him like, "Didn't you see all these things during the season? You're addressing it all now after the season ends. Why are you talking about it now?" He's like, "Listen, during the season, you don't talk about." all the little issues you you hope that they fix themselves you talk about it with the team you don't talk about it to the media you you try and fix it you try and find ways you you uh, you know you are aware of it but you don't go lamenting to the media well we don't do this and we don't do that and that's not going to fix that's not going to change until we do that you know you just go about your business with the media and then when the season's over we can be a little bit more honest so Theo's not going to talk about it right now. He's going to hope that it turns. He's, he knows his 19 games. He knows it's a long shot, uh, but he's going to hope that it happens because guess what? Baseball's weird and that stuff does happen. I don't think it will with this team, but hey, weirder things have happened and I've been wrong a lot as everyone everyone's wrong about baseball all the time because it's impossible to predict. But yes, Joe Madden's probably gone. Uh, I'd put it at you know, what, as close to 100% as you can get. I said before the season, he needed a 2018 Red Sox season. You needed to win 100-plus games and just storm through the playoffs and win the World Series. And even then, I could have envisioned a scenario where they said, Joe, two World Series in five years. You are the greatest Cubs manager ever. Let's end it on a high note. Let's part ways. You go find your next gig where you cement your Hall of Fame career, and we find the next manager of the next Cubs team type thing. Uh, so yes, that, that era, I believe is all but over. Uh, I do believe Theo Epstein came into the season calling it a reckoning. He called it a reckoning. Everyone expected big moves last off season. They didn't happen. And a lot of that was because players were at a very low value that he could trade and they didn't have the budget to make moves that Theo wanted to make. So this is the off season that will be the reckoning The the season was a reckoning. Uh, they haven't fulfilled uh, what the you know what was expected of them, and there are going to be changes. I don't know how drastic it is. I, I kind of look at it as there are core four offensive players that 
would be surprising if they're moved, right? Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, Baez. I wouldn't be shocked if one of them was moved. And I, I don't think it's going to be Baez or Contreras. I really don't. Uh, Baez would be the most shocking for me. But I think there's a chance that one of those others gets moved. And really, the, the oh, yeah, boy. and really the the buzz is around Bryant. I wouldn't be shocked by it. I, I think it could come back to bite them because if he stays healthy for two more seasons, that's going to look really bad. Uh, but it's also they they kind of need a shakeup. They kind of need to inject some youth into the system. They kind of need different types of players around. I you know there, there's a lot of different ways you could go. And I don't think it's guaranteed that any of those players get traded. I'm just saying I'm not ruling it out. I also think that, hey, Kyle Schwarber is looking great. That may be the time to move him. You know, maybe maybe this offseason is the time to shift him, uh, get, you know, get a young get a young pitcher and a center fielder, re-sign Nick Castellanos, put him in left field, Hayward and right, and you have your young center fielder add someone to the rotation. There are so many different things that this team could do right now that this offseason is going to be very interesting. It's going to be a different looking team come next year. I do believe Nico is probably their second baseman of the future. You know, I hope they don't play any service time games and, and don't let him start the season with the team. As long as they trust that his development is, is, is good and he's ready to go. I'd expect him to be the starting second baseman and Javi at, the, at shortstop. Uh, and you kind of fill in the rest. I really think center field is an area that they have to focus on and upgrade, add some pitching. I will say they've done a great job of finding some, unearthing some relievers this year. Rowan Wick is good. He's a good high leverage reliever. Kyle Ryan is a solid lefty, if not a swing and miss guy. He's a solid pitcher. Those two guys were no names coming into the season and nobody expected anything of them of them. And they've been solid. And even Brad Wick, who they got uh, in the CJ Edwards trade, he's looked good. So I don't, you know, they've they've done a good job, and and all three of those guys, they're pitch lab guys. They're guys that they sent to the pitch lab. Those pitchers embraced that challenge, figured some things out, tweaked some things, made real changes that you can you know see in the data, and and they look like better pitchers. So maybe they've found something with this new system that they kind of have with their pitching infrastructure. Tommy Hadovy gets along with a lot of these guys. Talk to a lot of them, and they they. They rave about how to be Brandon Kinsler swears by him, says, you know, he believed in me in this offseason and helped me rejuvenate my career. Uh, you hear that a lot around this team with those pitchers. So maybe they have something there. Uh, but yeah, there, there are some changes that are going to happen and probably that need to happen. There's a lot, a lot going on. I meant to ask you about Danny Hulson and uh, we're going to end up running out of time. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'll, I'll rant about Danny Hulson another time, but it's good to see him in the, the major leagues. But yeah, this, it, it's a great story. It no is, uh, you invoke the word reckoning and, uh, I don't think that's being over dramatic. I'm sure the Cubs hope that this fascinating offseason happens a little bit later, but, uh, yeah, this, this is going to be really interesting to watch. So thanks for, for coming on and talking about it. Of course. Thanks for having me. When was the last time you thought about your tires? Tires are what makes a difference in how your car feels and drives. And since 1960, Discount Tire has been keeping customers safe by taking care of all your tire and wheel needs. With more than a thousand locations across 34 states, their main focus is your safety and the safety of everyone else on the road. Discount Tire provides tire rotations, balancing, free flat repairs, free air checks, and more. And because safety is so important, they provide free tire safety inspections. Discount Tire also has the lowest prices on the best and largest selection of tires and wheels. 
We'll even make personalized recommendations for you based on your zip code and driving preferences. Now, whether you need an air check or a set of tires and wheels discount tire can help you get back on the road with peace of mind and change to spare. Visit discounttire.com to shop, research, and purchase your tires today. You can even make an appointment to skip the lines. That's discounttire.com. Discount Tire, they'll get you taken care of. All right, I'm joined, uh, lastly, by Ben Lindbergh, who has been in the movies recently. Ben, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. You messaged me in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the night uh, the other day to tell me you had seen the the recent baseball epic bottom of the ninth, and I didn't respond because, like I said, it was in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> how was it? You know, it was a little bit better than I expected. We're speaking, of course, about the Sofia Vergara Joe Manganiello, if that's how you pronounce it. BDR vehicle. himself. I think it's Manganiello. Manginello. Manginello. You live in New York. You should get the the Italian pronunciations down. Yeah, I suppose so. So this came out just earlier this year. It did not make much of an impact, but it is a baseball movie. And we don't get so many baseball movies these days that we can afford to be picky. So I decided to watch it. It's a story about Mr. Manginello coming back at an advanced age after a long prison stint to resume his baseball career. And, you know, it's not great, (laughs) but we only have so many baseball movies to choose from. And I will say, and my wife also said that it was better than we expected and worth watching if you are starved for baseball movies. Outstanding. I might just watch Everybody Wants Some again. uh, Yeah, that's probably a better idea. Um, In preparation for asking you about this, I went to the Wikipedia page for, for Bottom of the Ninth and found out that Burt Young... Paulie from Rocky yes. is is alive <laughs> and, <laughs> and well was, or well enough to be in bottom of the ninth. I should also mention that Brian Cashman and Bernie Williams make cameos in this movie, unspeaking roles, but they just show up on screen and do some scouting, which was very strange to see. So there's some star power in this movie. Yeah, I so Burt Young was like 36 it turns out when they made rocky i would like if you had asked me to guess how old he was when when that movie came out i don't think i would have gotten him within 20 years the 70s were wild man he didn't age that well for his first 36 years but he's aged really well in the past 40 years or so he (laughs) got it all out of the way wilford brimley what's the like Mm -hmm. wilford brimley is it was older when the firm or younger when the firm came out than tom cruise is now or something like that (laughs) um Anyway, we are a little bit far afield, uh, much like batted balls off the uh, the bats of the Houston Astros over the past couple nights. Uh, on Sunday, they beat the Seattle Mariners uh, twenty one to one, and then yep. followed that up by beating the Oakland A's on Monday fifteen to nothing. This is you know. Uh, Trivia, trivia, trivia. Team hasn't scored X runs in Y years and so forth. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to talk about uh, the Houston Astros and their lineup. And you, you have some thoughts on the matter. It's very good. (laughs) Those are my thoughts. (laughs) Good. All right. Let's go back to talking about the movies. (laughs) The Astros are are basically unstoppable right now. I mean, scoring 21 runs against the Mariners is impressive, but it's still the Mariners. And the Astros had put up a 20 spot earlier in the season in August against the Orioles. But, you know, that's the Orioles and the Mariners. Not saying anyone can score 20 runs against those teams, but it's a bit more impressive to score 15 unanswered runs against the A's. We're also a very good team. And if you look at it 
from a second half perspective, even from a full season perspective, the Astros offense is just a juggernaut. And right now, if you sort at Fangraphs, look at all offenses going back to the beginning of baseball history, the only better offense has been the 1927 Yankees, if you include pitcher hitting. And that's a pretty impressive stat when you are the best offense ever, except for Murderer's Row. And really, I mean, the Astros have gotten better offensively as the season has gone on. Not that they were bad to begin with, but if you look early in the year, Altuve wasn't himself and Jordan Alvarez had not arrived until early June. And they still had guys like Tyler White and Derek Fisher and Max Stassi who were taking up plate appearances and not doing much with them. But really, since Alvarez came around, since Altuve heated up, since other guys got back and got good, this offense has just been by far the best in baseball. And they have four of the top 10 best hitters in baseball in the second half. They also have four of the top 15 just full season. And two of the four are different between those two time periods, which gives you some sense of just how deep and well-rounded they are. I mean, every hitter in the Astros lineup right now is above average, basically. And they just put up these massive run totals in the past couple of days without Carlos Correa, who will probably be back by the playoffs and says he's healthy and without pain from his back problems. So it may get even better. There are just no holes in this lineup. I wrote a few weeks ago, and it feels like we talk about the Astros a a decent amount. I think Zach and I, I hope it wasn't literally last week that Zach and I talked (laughs) about the rotation. Um, But I I wrote a couple weeks ago about how adding Jordan Alvarez to that lineup really, like it changed how I look at it. Because this this had been a very level... Uh, lineup like everybody had power everybody got ba- got on base and guys like like Bregman and Altuve were had put on uh serious MVP campaigns like they had very very good individual players but it just seemed like a the definitive and I I know I talk about this a lot um the definitive image of the the Red Sox is just like single after double after single after walk after single and just the whole Line, there's just not a, a weak spot in it. And now on top of that, you add, crucially, a left-handed hitter in yeah. in Jordan Alvarez. But a guy like that's the David Ortiz, the Manny Ramirez, the Ryan Howard that, like, that turns this very good but very flat offense into like something you, you have to approach different parts of the lineup different ways. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about the Astros pitching, which we should because it's also great. And Verlander and Cole are having these headline competing for Cy Young with your boy Lance Lynn seasons. But I think we should probably talk more about the offense. I mean, the Astros are on track right now to be the first team ever, I believe, to strike out the most hitters on the mound and strike out the least at the plate, which is pretty impressive. And if you just look at the offense... They have the highest walk rate in baseball right now and the lowest strikeout rate. And it's not like they're just passive and take pitches or even make contact, but don't do much with that contact because they also have the fourth most homers and the fourth highest isolated power. So they do literally everything well, except run. I guess they're not a very good base running team, but that's about it. They have. Yeah, that also sort of feels like a choice because they do have. You know, Altuve was a 30-40 stolen base guy in the past. Like, a lot of these guys can run. They're just choosing not to. I want, like, 
I don't know, when the entire team's got like a 350 on base percentage, is almost right. slugging 500, then maybe you don't bother. But they they yeah. do have a fair amount of speed. Miles Straw is probably going to end up being somebody uh, who could make a difference down the, um, not down the stretch. They got that division pretty pretty well sewed <laughs> up. But like, yes. you know, he could be like a Terrence Gore um, mm-hmm. or um, or a Draw Dyson type uh, who who comes in off the off the bench and, and provides that base running when they need it. The other, the, like the line that really stands out for me is the Alex Bregman line, 34 doubles, 35 homers, 101 walks, 76 strikeouts. That's, that (laughs) is really like Astros baseball in a nutshell to me. Yeah. And Astros baseball has changed. It's morphed from when this team first got good and they were an all strikeouts and dingers offense. And then they made some changes to increase their contact rate without sacrificing any of the good things that they did. And that was partially bringing in hitters who could make contact, most recently Michael Brantley, for instance, and also guys coming up who have that skill like Bregman. But I think it's Yuli also Guriel. partly— Guriel's yeah, hitting for a lot more Guriel's power been than he used to. great in the second yeah. half, too. You don't even think of him, really, but he's been incredible. Yeah, so it's partly the personnel, and it's targeting that kind of hitter and, and grooming that kind of hitter. But I think it's also the Astros doing things with data and analytics, and they have stressed pitch selection, and they've had you know their hitters play games where you award points based on swing decisions, and you get points for swinging at good pitches, and you get points for not swinging at bad pitches, et cetera. And they've also worked with swing sensors and, and the like to get their hitters' bats in position to make contact and, and spend a lot of time in the zone. So it's the usual asterisk thing of just getting good players and making them even better than they had been before. And you're right, they're not entirely without speed, but if you're not going to be great at something, that's what you want to that's not fine. be great yeah. at as an offense. Even if they were totally a station-to-station team, it wouldn't matter that much because they get on base so much and they hit so many homers that they really can just wait for someone to get that big hit. It is interesting that we still do think, and because the core is, uh, the core of this team is made up mostly of, of players who came out of that tanking phase, but they've, they've applied these, um, these developmental techniques to guys who were either like established to be good, like Brantley, like Josh Reddick, like Gurriel, uh, like Robinson Chirinos, who came in from outside the the organization as established veterans, or like Alex Bregman was going to be an all star no matter who drafted him, you know. Uh-huh. And you know maybe he he doesn't turn into a thirty five homer hitter if uh, he'd wound up on some other team. But yeah, it's there. This is a very talented, like very smart hitting team. Just when you it, like leaving the front office out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite as stark as it is on the pitching side where they have this long track record of getting guys and then enhancing their performance. There's some of that, but a lot of this comes from top draft picks like Gray and Bregman or guys who were holdovers from the previous regime like Springer and like Altuve. And I guess really Alvarez is the first one who Mm -hmm. wasn't quite as highly touted, but who was developed by this current regime and really broke through, whereas some of the previous Astros hitting prospects never really established themselves or or didn't become impact guys. And you're wondering now whether Kyle Tucker will even have an opportunity to be the next one. But Alvarez is an example of just stealing someone from another team just 
getting him from the Dodgers, who, of course, have their own reputation as a, a great development team for Josh Fields, who was good for the Dodgers, but nowhere near what Alvarez could potentially provide to the Astros over the next several years and what he's providing right now. So it's really just hard to find a weakness. It's hard to identify almost anything that other teams do better than the Astros. I know Sam Miller pointed out recently that the Astros offense has been even better against very hard pitches like 95 and faster pitches. And you do tend to see a lot more of those in the playoffs. So if that's a skill that the Dodgers hitters have more so than the Astros, maybe that benefits them in October. But this team is just so good and and so well-rounded and is just pounding everyone right now that I think they probably could hit their way through the playoffs if they needed to, which they don't because they can also outpitch most of every other team. Yeah, that's the the thing. Um, there's a limit to how how big or like how well you could set yourself up for for the postseason. I think the Astros have essentially done everything within their you know within their power uh, yeah. to to set themselves up for the postseason. But you look at what they're going to face in the American League playoffs, and like obviously they have by far the best pitching staff in the American League. But if you want to look at the offense, as much as we've been gushing about it, it's not that much better than the Yankees and it's not Mm -hmm. that much better than the twins. And so it's, you know, it's possible that they, you know, this is going to be, they're going to, their season's going to be made made or broken on, um, wow, that idiom never changes verb tense in real life. That was very (laughs) strange on, um, on, it's going to. I'm not going to say it again. It's it's going to hinge on a best of five or best of seven series. And there's a limit to how well you can prepare. I think the Astros have hit that limit. Yeah. I mean, there were people who, I don't know how many people were saying that the Astros had guaranteed anything when they went and got Zach Greinke. I, I don't think there is a way to guarantee playoff success. Yeah, I, I just think generally, like, we know better than to, yeah. to say that by now. but Right. I mean, I think the Astros may have been the best team in baseball last year, and they didn't make it to the World Series. You could even argue that they outplayed Boston in, in some respects yeah, in the playoffs. Of, that, and That was one of the closest five-game series you'll ever see. Yeah, but. it was. And there's just no guarantee of, of getting past other good teams because obviously in, in any short series, you can lose to any team at any time. And in the playoffs, the difference between the, the best teams and their opponents is smaller than it typically is during the regular season. So all sorts of stuff can happen. And maybe Jose Altuve's home run will not be ruled a home run and and that'll be that. But I think that they have, as you said, put themselves in an extraordinarily strong position. It's just, I mean, the bullpen's good. The top of the rotation is better than anyone else's top of the rotation. I think they can, even if they get to the World Series, just slot in Granky for game three, I, I guess, and have him pitch in the NL Park. And then they can even have a, a huge advantage in the pitcher's lineup spot, too, just to add to everything else. <laughs> so they've kind of thought of everything at this point. And I don't know that they are as well positioned for the future as, say, the Dodgers are. You could make the case that certain guys are going to get expensive or move on and Garrett Cole is going to be a free agent and so on. But really, right now, this is just a powerhouse and they're sort of showing it every day right now. Yeah. And even then, like, you don't have to. Zach and I just spent 20 minutes screaming at each other about the Red Sox sacrificing or, or devaluing 
actual accomplishment for like the fear of of future drop off, but the the Granky trade goes a long way toward filling that hole with uh, yeah. with Garrett Cole, and you know obviously uh, Lance McCullers isn't Garrett Cole, but he hasn't pitched this year. He will next year. He's he's uh, throwing or starting to throw off a mound. Although I saw that he was only throwing fastballs, so that barely counts as throwing for Lance McCullers. Um, <laughs> you know, Aaron Sanchez is going to be back next year. Uh, they're going to have options and they have, you know, Forrest Whitley didn't have a good season. He was supposed to contribute yeah. to the team this year. Like they'll be, they can find ways to, to fill holes, not just internally, but they haven't been shy about going out and like making the trade for Verlander, making the trade for Granky, going out and signing Josh Reddick or Gurriel or Brian McCann or Michael Brantley. Like they go at, they don't, they don't let like the reason they win a hundred games every year is they don't let uh, problems go unsolved. You know, mm-hmm. they, they try to have a plan and they adapt it if it doesn't work instead of saying, you know, doing what say the Phillies did, which is, Oh, well, you know, we made our, you know, we made our big spend this off season. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And yeah, you know, that's, that's the difference between making the playoffs and putting together a team like this and not, it's not just about, being smart and, and and having money it's about you know having the follow through and so right. and they've done that and so you know yeah yeah they also just got Josh James back recently another guy who maybe they would have expected more from this season but he's yeah, back we'll after he... an entry break yeah i think the the key thing about development i mean obviously teams and owners prefer to develop from within because it costs them a lot less and they'd much rather win with a lower payroll than the alternative. But I don't think it's only that. I think it's that when you do build from within and you promote prospects and you develop players internally, you can count on those guys to be good for several years. And you look at the Red Sox and the guys who are good for the Red Sox right now, they've been good for the Red Sox for the past five years, and they will probably continue to be good for the foreseeable future. And you could say that about some of the Astros and some of the Dodgers too. It's just really hard, even if you are willing to spend. I mean, you'd have to totally blow away the established standards for spending in order to construct a contending team through free agency alone, especially yeah, these not, days where, where no one makes free agency. So yeah, if that's you not can, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm yeah. saying like they went out and built that that core that got them to the playoffs in 2015. Yes. And then they, and then they went out. And that's the way it's supposed to, like, even as, right. as like Mr. Spend and free agency, like I recognize that's the way it's supposed to work. Like you're, you're supposed to develop as much as you can internally. And even like as a fan, like it's as it's cool to like go out and get your Justin Verlander, but it's also cool to, to see players develop from, high school draft picks to rookies to all-stars like fans like that. So, but in addition to being the smartest way to build the team, but my point is the Astros have gone out and recognized what they couldn't do on their own. And they've kept looking for it until they found it. Yep. That's right. And they've been ruthless in certain respects and they've made moves that were unpopular or morally questionable at times, but they have kept their eyes on the prize for better or worse, and they've already won the prize once, and they are probably better positioned to win it again than any other team today. You think so? You think? Well, uh, I think the Dodgers are really the only other team with a case. I, I think they have a very good case yeah. because the the NL field the NL's is so much weaker. weaker. That's what I yeah. would. That's what I was going to say. It's like right. there, there's like one and a half other good teams in the mm-hmm. in the National League. Uh, 
apart from the Dodgers and there are two and a half other good teams in the American League and the two and a half teams in the American League are better than the one and a half teams in the National League, if that makes any sense. So I just think like the Dodgers are going to have an easier bracket. Maybe this is just I'm not the first person to make this joke, but the future of baseball is the Dodgers just losing in the World Series to a different (laughs) they're winning like 105 games and losing in the World Series to a different American League team every year. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine the Dodgers not winning that division in the next few years. So they will keep getting cracks at it and probably the Astros will too. But I don't know that either of those teams will be better in the future than it is right now. Certainly the Astros, I think, are probably peaking right now as good as they were in 2017. I'm not sure that they aren't better now. And it it would be difficult, I think, to stay at this level as as well as they position themselves for the future, they are just firing on all cylinders in 2019. I think they're pretty clearly better now than they were in, in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Um, may we all improve over time as the Astros have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for coming. All right. Out. My pleasure. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Ringer MLB Show. Thanks to Zach and Ben for joining me, as always. Thanks also to special guest Sahadav Sharma of The Athletic. You can find his work at The Athletic Chicago and his takes on Twitter at Sahadav Sharma. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Dave Dombrowski, Nico Horner, and Joe Manginello for giving us stuff to talk about. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Floor and Decor. Floor and Decor is where the pros go for tile, wood, stone, and installation materials. But the best part about Floor and Decor is their pro services and loyalty reward program. From a dedicated pro hotline to the exclusive pro app, your Floor and Decor team is just a touch away. Visit flooranddecor.com today to find the location nearest you. 